This is probably one of the last times I'll say it, at least for a while. I, I plan on being in the book of Philippians someday, again, preaching. But for now, this will be the last time I say in our series, why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. As you're doing that, let me just say, I already introduced myself, but if you're new here and you have any questions, you're looking to get connected in any way, um, just come up, talk to me after the message. I'll be here for prayer. I'll be here to get you connected. Or if you find anyone wearing a name tag, it means they have some ability to get you connected here because they're one of our leaders, right? So make sure you grab them, find them, talk to them, and uh, get connected to our ministry in some way. Um, also, if you checked in tonight um, then, and registered, then you'll also be signed up for our text messages. And so you'll be receiving that and updates. Um, if you guys aren't receiving text messages and you've been here for a bit, come let me know. Afterwards, we can get that fixed, but now that we're going to be taking a break shortly, um, it'd be nice to be able to send you texts in case I want to get some updates or stuff going on, all right? So anyway, I assume at this point you're, you're turning to Philippians chapter 4. Let's go ahead and just sort of look at the book that we have been in, see some of the things, some of the chapters, maybe some of the notes, some of the highlights that have uh, been in your Bibles or in your notebook. There's been a lot of topics a lot of topics that we have covered. And of course, um, prayerfully, they've all been centered on Christ. They have been about Christ, the gospel of Christ. They've been convicting us to live our lives for Jesus and live our lives and give our lives for the sake of the gospel. We've preached over 10 to 12 messages in this book together. And I'd say, um, I can say without a doubt, like our ministry, uh, it's the better for it it's the better because we've been going through this book together. We have grown a ton and, and not just in number, but we've grown a ton this past semester in maturity and just thinking through things. And I just want to let you know, um, I sincerely believe that there's more to come. Like I sincerely believe that God has so much more for this ministry. I believe that he has so much more for us. And I'm telling you as your pastor, as just one of the guys that sits in his office with a calendar and plans things out and puts them on a calendar on my wall. Any of you have been in my office, you know what I'm talking about, pretty much stare at it all the time. There's a lot more that we have planned for you. We have a lot more discipleship planned, a lot more opportunities to get involved, a lot more opportunities to begin serving, a lot more opportunities to be in ministry. Like we have plans to continue um, if the Lord would so allow us to grow this ministry. And so I just want to build that excitement in you. I want you to be anticipating what the Lord might have for us next semester and to anticipate what he might have for us even tonight as we set our hearts and minds on his word together. But the reason, the reason that we want to give you these things, that we want to increase your opportunities to get involved and connected and serving is because of passages like we are in tonight in Philippians 4. Because what we see is that if we are believers, if we belong to Christ, then there are some things that we should have in common. There are some things that we should all desire to do. There are some common characteristics that we should see in the body of Christ. And that passage that we're in tonight reveals some of these things. Like we as disciples should all have similar things in our lives that are impacted by the gospel. Like we've hit so many aspects of the gospel in the last 12 weeks, but tonight, like we're going into lightning round, right? I think most of you understand what that means, lightning round. Like we're just hitting point after point after point. Some of them are going to be reminders of the things that we have covered. Some of them are going to be brand new, and we're just going to be adding them to the things that Paul is encouraging us in tonight. But the point is, all of this, the purpose is to ask this question of ourselves tonight. 
as a, a means of evaluation, I want us to ask this question. How much has the gospel saturated your life? How much has the gospel saturated your life? Sort of an ambiguous question. You're like, well, what do I do? Do I like scale one to 10 that thing? Like, do I, do I put a number down? Do I draw a picture in my journal or, or Bible to, to represent the answer to that? No. But what we're going to be going through tonight will hopefully allow you to see where the gospel is saturating your life, allow you to see where the Lord is working and where you're submitting to him. So that's the, that's the main idea. Let's get into the text now. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 10 because I didn't preach that last week. I want to pick up verse 10 because it's connected to our passage, and I'm going to jump to verse 14, okay? So Philippians 10, 4.10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. This is Paul talking to the Philippians. You have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, All right? Go down to verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So here we are. Paul, he's applauding the Philippians. Right? He's applauding them for their partnership in the gospel. And you, you see that there in verse 15, right? He, he says, um, in you, Philippians, you are yourselves in the beginning, um, did not. Like you entered into partnership. No church entered into partnership with me except only you. Like, so we like, see that he's applauding the partnership that the Philippians have entered in with him. And what I want to make, let's, like, let's make the whole thing clear, okay? The Philippians, they believe in the gospel of Christ. Foundation. Philippians believe in the gospel of Christ. But it's not just that they believe in the gospel. It's that they have allowed the gospel to impact how they're acting. They have allowed the gospel to impact their decision-making. They have allowed the gospel to saturate their lives. And because of that, they have taken certain actions. They have done certain things when it comes to being in partnership with Paul. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to isolate and I want to identify the actions that they have taken. That's, that's what we want to look at. What have they actually done because their life is saturated by the gospel, because they are in partnership, because they believe the gospel? What are things they have done? I want to look at that and then I want to reverse engineer it. I want to reverse engineer it and say, okay, if being saturated by the gospel means doing these things, then if I'm doing these things, I can see if I'm saturated by the gospel. If I'm doing these things, I can see if I've let the gospel consume my life. If you're not tracking with that, let me give you one last illustration. And I'm praying this illustration will, um, will just help you to remember this concept when you're in the kitchen in your house, 
when you're, you're cleaning in your apartment, whatever it might be. But I want to ask, how many of you have heard of a scrub daddy? Anybody? There's a picture of one coming up right now. That's a scrub daddy, okay? I want to, I want to give you guys an opportunity to, to see what a scrub daddy is all about. I, I got the 45-second the commercial off YouTube, all right? So let's get that video playing. Meet Scrub Daddy. He's the perfect partner for all of your cleaning needs. Scrub Daddy's flex texture changes based on the temperature of your water. In cold water, he's firm for tough scrubbing. In warm water, he's soft and more absorbent. Scrub Daddy delivers a scratch-free clean on even the most delicate surfaces in and around your home. Scrub Daddy's face is ergonomic and fully functional. His eyes allow you to reach the sides and bottom of containers at the same time. His smile quickly cleans both sides of your utensils. Plus, Scrub Daddy rinses free of debris, resists odors for up to eight weeks, and is top rack dishwasher safe. Discover for yourself why Scrub Daddy is America's favorite sponge. All right, if you've never seen America's favorite sponge, this is it. This is a Scrub Daddy, all right? So I've got cold water in this bowl. We've got hot water in this bowl. Well, it used to be hot, but it's still pretty warm, okay? So you see, this, this is in cold water, right? And I am squeezing it pretty hard. And that's what I'm getting out of it. This is the hot water one. Right? So these actually work. This isn't just like an infomercial, like 45 minutes at midnight on TV, okay? Like hot water actually changes what this sponge does. Cold water causes it to be wet, but it doesn't actually do much besides allow you to scrub dirt off a pan, I guess, right? The whole point of a scrub daddy is that what it's saturated with changes what it's doing. What it's filled up on changes how it acts. Right? One that's filled with hot water is soft and pliable and moldable, you're going to use it for something. One that's filled with cold water, it has a purpose, but because it's saturated with something different, it acts differently. It acts according to what it's filled up on. And what I want to see tonight is what are the Philippians filled up on? Right? What, what are they filled up on? We know the answer is the gospel, but we want to see what that looks like. We want to know if the gospel is hot water, what are the actions that one takes when they're filled and saturated with hot water? What are the actions you take when you're saturated with the gospel? So let's look at those together now. I've just got some quick points here, but we're going to go verse by verse and just see that if the gospel is saturated life, then it's changed some things in you. And that's how we're going to run tonight. So the second point is, if the gospel has saturated your life, then it has changed your thoughts. That's the first one we see. If the gospel has saturated your life, then it has changed your thoughts. Let's look back at verse 10. Paul talking about the Philippians. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So he says that they were concerned for him. And now at length, meaning over a period of time, that concern has come back. And he even like qualifies it, right? He doesn't want to make it sound like he's insulting them. He says... You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So what we see is that even though they didn't have an opportunity, 
We don't know why they didn't have an opportunity. Maybe they lost contact with Paul for a while. Maybe it was one of his many shipwrecks he was in and he was just gone for a bit. We don't, we don't know exactly, but what we do know is that for some reason they didn't have an opportunity, but that doesn't mean that they didn't want to be in partnership with him. That doesn't mean that it wasn't their desire to be working for the gospel alongside him. And what this shows us is that no matter what they were able to do, Their thoughts were consumed. Their desires were made up because of the gospel in their lives. The desire to aid Paul in the work of the ministry never faded, even if they themselves couldn't aid in it in the moment. And I think this is the perfect type of message for us after we just prayed for an unreached people group. Because one of the things that we're doing is exactly what we see the Philippians doing here. One of the things that you guys are doing right now is you're in a spot of life that you might be able to take little steps here and there to help reach the unreached, whether it to be like to be a sender and and give money and finance and support and prayer, or maybe you're taking little steps to be a person that goes, but either way, you're not doing it right now. You're sort of in the stage of life where you're figuring that out and you're setting yourself up for it. And so... This might be one of those opportunities where we say we don't have the opportunity. We don't have the opportunity right now to go to the nations. We don't have the opportunity to be throwing hundreds and thousands of dollars to somebody that they might go do it, but that doesn't mean we don't want to. That doesn't mean it's not our desire. And so what we're gonna do is that even though we don't have the opportunity to go to the nations right now, our thoughts are gonna be shaped by that fact. We're gonna desire that. We're gonna pray for them. That's why we pray for them every single Thursday night so that we can show that while we don't have every opportunity, our thoughts are there, our desires are there, and we are saturated with the gospel because the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ is the gospel we want them to have in Jesus Christ. And so for your life, I want you to apply this in a way that thinks on the things of the gospel, the things you know that you are called to. I'm gonna leave the spirit in charge of just revealing that to you, whatever it may be, whether you have been convicted in some message that we've done here in Philippians or it's been at church on Sundays, whatever it might be. I want you to be thinking about ways that you can be thinking and praying and desiring those things, even if you don't have the opportunity to live them out at the moment. Evaluate your desires. Evaluate your thoughts. So if the gospel saturated your life, then it's changed your thoughts, but that's not it. That's not just it. We see that it's also changed your relationships. Your relationships. Look back down at verse 14 with me. Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. You're like, Cody, where are you getting relationships from, from share my trouble? I, I don't understand. Well, if you look at, um, if you have an ESV uh, translation, you'll see a little number next to the word share in your Bible. And if you they go all the way down, it'll tell you that that word is interchangeable with have fellowship in, right? And this whole concept, actually, that's the same word that Paul uses for partner. It's the same word that he uses for fellowship in this passage. And so like, if that's the same word that they're using for partnership, why didn't, why didn't the translators use the word partnership, right? Because they've already used it and that's what Paul's talking about. Why choose a different word? Like why, why, why say it's a different word when it's not? It's because the translators are trying to communicate something to us. They're trying to communicate that in the context of this passage, 
that this isn't just about being, being a partner like by name, right? This isn't just about being a partner in the gospel. This is about being to the depth of a partner in which you are actually sharing the burden. You are sharing the burden. So when I say that it's, it changes your relationships, I'm talking about how it changes the depth of your relationships, right? Now, I'm not talking about boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, or whatever. I'm talking about it changes the depth in which we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. It changes our desire to bear one another's burdens. Paul says it time and time again. He's thankful to the Philippians because they partnered with him by sharing his burden. We're going to see in a few minutes. They gave to him financially. They sent Epaphroditus to him. They prayed for him when he was there. They loved on him and honored him. They received what he had to say. They became mentees as he was a mentor. It was more than just calling themselves partners in the gospel. There was a reality to their life in which they shared a burden. So the application to us is if the gospel has has saturated my life, then what is the depth of relationship I have with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I just a brother or sister in Christ by name? Or do I actually share the burdens of the people I'm walking alongside? Like, do I just belong to this community because I attend here and walk in? Or because I say I'm a Christian? Or because I go to this church and so this is the next thing I need to do? Do I just show up to a C group and just attend? Or do I actually share the burdens of my brothers or sisters in Christ in a way that's so deep that you don't just call it partnership. You call it actually bearing the load with somebody, praying for them, crying with them, loving with them, walking alongside them. Like, are you that type of person? Has the gospel saturated your life enough that your depth of relationships has gone to a point that you're doing that? I'm gonna move quicker. If the gospel saturated your life, then it changes your finances. It changes your finances. This is not one I've preached on this semester. This is really where Paul starts talking about it. This happens a lot at the ends of his letters. He talks about finances and, and support as you know, being a missionary. And you see it in Romans. You see it a few other places. Um, but finances are something that is covered under our life with Christ. Look back at verse 15 with me. Verse 15 says, And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in, and this is where we see it, in giving and receiving except you only. Now, we're going to get to the whole no church did this, but you did it. We're going to get to that in a little bit, all right? But let's, let's see what he's talking about. He's talking about giving and receiving, and the Greek language here immediately enters into like the idea of talking about accounts and ledgers, all right? So we see it a few other times in this, in this passage when it talks about we're gonna get to and in verse 17 when it talks about increases to your credit. He's using the word for like what we would consider like a bank account, like actual financial transaction things. So that'd be like if we started using bank language and finance language to talk about what it means to be in supporting one another. So we know that when he talks about giving and receiving, he's talking about finances, He's talking about we spend our money where our heart is, right? Where our heart is, there our treasure will be also, Jesus says. I don't know uh, if you guys know who Sam Houston is. He um, was uh, a soldier and a politician, and he's namely famous for pretty much, not single-handedly, but uh, being a big part of the reason why Texas is now a state in the United States, right? So that just think about that time, that place, 
he um, was a politician and a soldier, and he wasn't a Christian, and he was very famous, very well known for essentially leading the state of Texas into our United States. And after that, he becomes a Christian. And he, he hears the gospel preached in a church. He gets baptized. And then after he comes out of the water of baptism, he offers right there on the spot to pay 50% of the local pastor's salary for the rest of his life. And people are astonished. Like, what are you doing? Like, why would you do that? Like, you, you got plenty of other things that you spend money on. And he says, when I was baptized, my pocketbook was too. When I was baptized, my pocketbook was too. So for us, that'd be our wallet, right? or our credit card, or whatever it might be, my Venmo. When I was baptized, my Venmo was too. The whole concept is that when we give our lives to Christ, we give our whole life to Christ, not just a little bit of it. When we say that we belong to him, we say everything we've been given belongs to him. And so what we see here is that the Philippians who are saturated by the gospel, they're consumed by it. They are putting literally their money where their mouth is. They're like, yes, we love you, Paul. We support you. And we're actually going to give you money financially. Like we're going to make sure that you're able to do what you need to do. And we're going to do it even when no one else is doing it. That's what we see in that verse. Even when no one else is doing it, we are going to do it because we are committed to this because when we were baptized our money was too. And I want to encourage you, like, I know the age of life that you're in. I know you're like, bro, I barely could afford raising canes earlier when I ate dinner, but how am I going to have everything else to give to the Lord? And I think I can show you example after example after example of it not being the amount that you give, but being the way in which you give it, right? We, we see that Jesus praises a woman who gives the last bit of her money, not because of what the amount of money was, but because of what it was in relation to what she had to give, right? It was a great sacrifice to her to be able to give that. And the reason she gave it is because she was saturated by the gospel. She loved the Lord. She was consumed by it. You want to see if you're taken by the gospel? You want to see if you're someone that's truly sold out for the cause of Christ? Wait five years. Wait five years. Sit down with me. Let's open up your pocketbook. And let's see where you're spending that money. Let's see what you choose to do with the ways that the Lord blesses you. Let's see if you choose to give back to the ways that he has been pointing into you. Let's see if we've been praying for these unreached people groups for four years while you've been here and you leave and if you actually decide to support them. Like you're not going, you know you're not called to that and so you're just, you're here and you're sending and you're financially supporting them if you're able to, right? Like let's see that. Now I'm not equating your salvation with how much money you give. I'm not equating your money, or your, your money with your salvation but what I am equating is that the things you care about are the things you will spend money on, the things you will support. Don't let the gospel saturate every part of your life except the things that you spend money on. All right, moving from finances. It's always a fun one to preach. Let's talk about endurance. If the gospel is saturated your life, then it changes your endurance. Look at verse 16 with me. Verse 16, 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So we're going to pair this with verse 15, right? I told you that we were talking a little bit about how like when no one else entered into giving and receiving, the Philippians chose to do it. That I'd call that endurance, right? Like when it looks like no one else is supporting, when it looks like maybe you shouldn't, you have enough conviction by the gospel to do what you know you're called to do, even when you don't see anyone else doing it. Like, so that's part of endurance, but then we see it even here in verse 16. He says, like, even in Thessalonica, so like, even when he's at another church, right? We know he wrote several letters to the Thessalonians. We know he helped plant that church. He's saying, like, even when I was at another church, even when I was at another church plant, even when I was being supported by someone, you still were with me. You followed me. No matter where I was, you were concerned for me. You endured. Like, your gospel conviction it endured, it lasted, it stayed, it was strong. Like if we have true gospel saturation in our lives, we're gonna see things that endure. We're gonna see ourselves endure through, let, let's, let's make it simple real quick. Just the, the, just the being with God's people once a week. That's a simple task, but it's something that we see that the Lord calls us to, to gather with his people if we're saturated by the gospel, we're going to see ourselves endure to go even if our friends aren't. To go even when we're extremely exhausted because we were stupid and stayed up till 2 a.m. with our significant other playing Mario Kart, right? Like whatever it might be, we're going to endure because if the gospel is what impacts us and shapes our heart, that's what we're going to see is that we are going to see things like endurance even in the simple things. If we're convicted to give money to the unreached people groups, if we're convicted to give money to those that are in missions and it means that we don't get to go out with our friends, go get Raising Cane's before group here, then maybe what we say is, guys, I can't get dinner. I'm gonna endure. I've committed to this. This is what I'm giving. And, and it means that I can't go out with you. And I'm, I'm gonna, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna continue giving, even when it feels like I shouldn't because I know the Lord has convicted me of this. If the gospel saturated life, it changes our endurance. Let's keep on going. Verse 17. I know I'm just, I told you lightning round, I'm just spitfiring, right? I got like eight points tonight. Endurance. All right. If the gospel has saturated life and it changes your sacrifices. Sacrifices. Weird word I know. Look back at verse 17 with me. Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You're like, Cody, how, how am I getting sacrifices out of this? Like, what, what does that mean? Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I told you you're talking about financial language, right? Well, this goes along with our finances. This goes along with endurance. But I want to take a little bit further and show that the, the true aspect of the Philippians here is that what they were willing to sacrifice. Because Paul, he, he even says, like, not that I am in need. I'm not in need. I don't, I don't need. Paul even says, even when I'm in Thessalonica, right? Like, when I didn't need, I still allowed you to give. Paul didn't tell them not to give. Why didn't Paul tell them not to give if he was being provided for, if he was content? Why? He did it because he knew that there was something they gained by sacrificing. He knew that there was something they gained by giving. He remembered the words of Jesus 
When Jesus says, and is quoted in Acts, it is better to give than it is to receive. Paul says, like, not that I'm seeking the fruit. He's talking about, like, the fruit of having received money, right? Like, the, not that I'm looking to receive all the cool stuff that, that I can do because you're giving me money, but I'm allowing you to do it because I'm seeking what it gives you to be able to give to me. I'm seeking what the Lord might do in your life because of what you're choosing to give to his people, right? Now, this is not like a, 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 you know, sow a seed and reap prosperity, right? It's not a prosperity gospel thing. This is not like if you give money, the Lord's going to give you money back. Uh, That's not what I'm saying. There's no promises of that, but this is certainly an aspect in which the Lord does bless us when we bless his people. I don't know what that blessing looks like. Sometimes it's merely just the joy of doing it and knowing that we're giving to something greater than ourselves. Sometimes it's the way the Lord provides for us in times when we are in need. Sometimes it is financial blessing. Sometimes it is the things that the Lord blesses us with because we have been good stewards of it, because we are responsible for it, because we want to give what has been given to us. Like, I just want to add this as a color to how you're thinking about this, that it's not just finances, it's not just endurance, but it's knowing that there are sacrifices we're making because it's also things that we get to receive from it. There are sacrifices that should be given because the Lord will grow us in it. There are sacrifices that people make financially. Maybe it's time, maybe it's schedule. But the way that the Lord grows them through it, the way that he sanctifies people through it, let's say it's a time of trial Go easy, finances, right? You're giving money away. Hardship comes because you've committed to give that away. You want to follow through on that commitment. Maybe you cut down to eating ramen instead of a meal. Think of the ways that you are sanctified in that. Think of the ways that you are learning in that. Think of the ways that your dependency on the Lord is being increased because of it. And that's just a simple example, guys. But even in our sacrifices, if we are saturated by the gospel, we view them as means of our own sanctification and joy and blessing. So not sacrifices, but also the gospel has saturated your life. Then, verses 18 and 19, it has changed your mission. It's changed your mission. Verses 18 and 19, look at it with me. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now that supply every need, like let's go ahead and chalk that up to everything that Paul already said about giving over like credit to them, right? And and knowing that the Lord blesses and provides in our sacrifices. Like we know it's all connected to that, but let's just, Like, focus on Epaphroditus for a minute. We talked about how the Philippians are supporting Paul, right? What about Epaphroditus? He's not just giving money. What's he doing? He's straight up, like, saddling up the money bags and walking or riding or taking a ship to wherever Paul is. Like, so as sold out as Epaphroditus is to this, He's actually changed the mission, the goal, the purpose, the schedule of his life because he's not just in Philippi anymore. He's actually leaving it to go do gospel work and provide for the missionary and the church planner that helped plant the church. Like his whole life has changed. His whole purpose has changed. And what I'm saying is that when the gospel saturates our lives, when we actually believe it, then 
everything changes. The mission changes. Then when our Savior comes and says, follow me, we drop our nets and we follow after him. That when we ask, hey, can I go bury my father? And he says, let the dead bury their dead. And you're like, I have to follow after him. We'll teach on that some other time, right? But what I'm saying is that if the gospel The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is something that you truly believe Then it's something that truly changes you. It's something that changes the entire purpose. It changes what you major in in college. It changes where you work. It changes who you decide to interact with. It changes where you are at any given time. It changes what you pray about, what you watch on TV. It changes your entire bent of life because your life is sold out for Christ. And as we see in Philippians, because you want to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's you. I want to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so, My mission changed. Done. I know that's happened already for many of you. I've talked to many of you. I know it's happened in my life. I've shared that with you. I left college thinking I was going to go be a dean, making six figures, dean of residence life. I want to eventually work my way up to, you know, vice president of a college. I ended up leading worship part-time and working at Ponchero's. That's because I was sold out for the mission. Many, many people before us have done that. This church that you're standing in, sitting in right now, it exists because a man and his family left everything they had in Chicago and decided to come plant this church. It exists because of a man who was sold out for the gospel. And now we benefit from it. Let the gospel change the mission of your life. Last but certainly not least, the gospel saturates your life and it changes your worship. It changes your worship. Verses 19 and 20. So going back into verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says all this convicting stuff. He's talking about all the things the Philippians need to do, all the things that they're doing right, encourages them, pushes them. I mean, he's just getting done telling people they need to have unity and they need to stop fighting. Like he's saying all these things to them. And how does he choose it in this letter? To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul himself does not desire to receive any glory from this. Paul himself wants everything that he wrote, everything that he has said to them to not be for his credit and his righteousness, but to be for the glory of God. Like Paul's worship has changed. We are all made to worship. We are all created to worship. Like it says in Isaiah, like the Lord formed us for his glory. Like we are bent like that. I've preached on this before, but like we are all born like flashlights with the light always on. Okay, like there's no on off button. We are born as flashlights that are always pointing our light somewhere. And whatever we choose to focus on is what we're worshiping. Whatever we give to is what we're worshiping. And what the gospel does is it takes your life and your worship and what you choose to praise and what you choose to sacrifice to and it turns it back to Christ, the one who sacrificed his life for us. And so what we see 
is that our worship, the things we praise, the reason we do stuff is all for the glory of God, the Father. The gospel has saturated your life and you live a life in which you are giving praise to the Lord for what he's given you. Paul represented that, modeled that, and he expected it of the Philippians as well. So here's what I want to do. Lightning round over. I want to take just a few minutes. I just want to give glory to God. just want to praise him for anything, anything he has done in this book, in your life. Anything. I want to give you a minute to do that. I want you not only to, to focus on, on what kind of scrub daddy you are, right? I want you to focus on not only the ways that the Lord has filled you up through this book, but I want to take you just a couple minutes to give him praise and glory, not through singing, but through a submitted heart just thanking him, right? Take that time now. In a couple minutes, I'll come up and wrap this up. Father, I want to thank you for working through the Apostle Paul to inspire your word, to speak to us. Lord, I want to thank you that a book written thousands of years ago is still living and active. It's still true. Lord, I admit it feels weird to finish another book here. It feels weird to end another series. I admit to you, I, I don't feel any better at preaching now than I, I did a couple years ago. I, I don't feel like there's any more power in what I have to say, but I know there's a lot of power in what you have to say. And I know that you have changed lives. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you're so faithful to do that. Even when I'm faithless, even when I fail you, when we as leaders fail you, Lord, you're still faithful to work through us. And I, I thank you for that. I, I thank you for the ways that you work through the Philippians and even in their flaws and the, and the ways that they had disunity and the things that they had to work on, Lord, you still spoke through them and what they were doing for you in a way that impacts us. And I, I thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you help those in the room tonight to give praise and honor and glory to you because they have sold their lives to the gospel, that the gospel is the, the name, the name of Jesus is the name in which they live by, that they have been crucified along with you, Christ, and it's no longer them who lives but it's you, Lord, I pray that that be true. And I pray that you would, for all their days, teach them to love you, to glorify you, to have their mission of their life changed for you. Lord, I pray you help them not waste their lives. Father, I pray against those in the room that might be 40 or 50 or 60 years old someday and looking back on all the things they should have and could have done for your glory and it's gone. I ask that right now, even in the midst of a Christmas season when things are about to be weird and we're going to be out of schedule and out of school, that you would just impact our lives so greatly that it changes what we do in January when we come back together. It changes what we do when we see our families this holiday season. Lord, only you can do these things and these are the things that we trust in. Last but not least, Lord, I pray exactly what the Apostle Paul prayed here at the end of Philippians over everyone. I pray, as it says in verse 23, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with our spirits. Lord, that your grace would be with us in a tangible way that we feel your grace, we feel your love. We feel the gift of you, Jesus. 
in all circumstances, every valley that happens to us and that we cause ourselves, every high that is with you, Lord, may it all be experienced through the grace of you, Jesus. You are the one we love. You're the one we give our life to. You are the one now that we live in. I pray for our next series, that you would speak through it as well as we get into the Old Testament together, spend some time seeing how we should treasure your word that was written even longer ago than Philippians. Lord Jesus, in your mighty name that we pray, amen.